Welcome to another episode of On the Issues with Alon Ben-Mir. Today's guest is Yossi Alfer, a consultant and writer on Israel-related strategic issues. He's a former intelligence officer and served as special advisor to the Prime Minister of Israel in July 2000 during the Camp David talks, concentrating on the Israeli-Palestinian peace process. In this episode, Alan and Yossi discuss Israel's current response to Hamas's attacks against Israel on October 7th, various scenarios of how the response will proceed from here, an analysis of the various players in the broader conflict, including Hezbollah, and whether or not Israel can fully eliminate Hamas from Gaza and the long-term prospects in Gaza. So Biden's visit uh, has to be digested, obviously. Um, it's clear he's, he's giving us a lot of support and potentially a lot of uh, even material support uh, and already given us material support. Um, but there's a price to this uh, and it's um, presumably uh, concerns Israel's freedom of maneuver. Is uh, making some interesting demands. On the one hand, get rid of Hamas. On the other hand, don't invade or don't conquer the Gaza Strip. And there's a certain possible contradiction between these two. Uh, don't touch Hezbollah, which is fine with me and I think fine with most Israelis, depending on what happens. Um, and uh, uh, there's an implied uh, American uh, threat offer uh, to intervene with Hezbollah if Hezbollah starts something, meaning, meaning with Iran, meaning with Iran. Um, and that uh, I, I would hope it wouldn't be put to the test. But if it is, uh, there is a question of what the U.S. would intend to do and uh, what effect this would have for Israel. Uh, the assumption here is that a Hezbollah a missile attack and it, full Hezbollah offensive would be a missile attack, would be, I don't know, 10 or 50 times as effective, as destructive as Hamas's rockets, which I uh, noted earlier are a, a, a tactical nuisance and no more than that. Right. Uh, Hezbollah, uh, Hezbollah rocket offensive or missile offensive is a strategic measure, a strategic attack and um, with uh, potentially huge losses, uh, damage to infrastructure and losses in human life on the Israeli side. And uh, if we find ourselves at that point constrained by some American uh, insistence that we not respond, we leave it to the, to the United States, to its two aircraft carrier groups, um, this could become problematic, but that's that's speculative. Uh, the Biden visit also, I think, uh, has to be seen as a statement by the administration that um, it doesn't fully it doesn't have full confidence in Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, we know Biden's opinion of Netanyahu, and uh, the fact that he's come here to, in effect, hold his hand. Um, is another issue that will be open when when he leaves, and, and we'll again have to see how that plays out as well. Well, well you see, when you say hold his hands, what do you mean by that? Not support physically, him or, 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 or restrict him, support him or contain him. Both. 
Okay. Hold his hand, not not physically, but literally. I know, of course, I understand that. I, 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 I no, I'm, I'm, I'm being cute. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is, I think, means support definitely. I mean, this was a, a demonstration of support, as was Biden's uh, speech a few days ago uh, on the Israeli issue, which was truly without precedent. Uh, for American-Israeli relations and for American presidents. Um, but it, it's support, but also uh, laying, I assume, I assume, laying down some red lines. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it comes with some strings attached, basically. It, it, the aid, not, it's, it's not that the aid comes with some strings attached. I would no, separate not the aid. that. No, I understand I mean, there, there, there's going to be support. That's a given. But he's also saying, as part of the U.S.-Israeli security relationship, we have interests, we Americans have interests here too, and we want to make them clear to you, and we want to, want to make it clear where we think you should be uh, acting and where we think you shouldn't be acting. And uh, it's somewhere, uh, without Biden saying so, uh, my interpretation is that this holding of Netanyahu's hand also reflects a lack of confidence on the part of the administration in Prime Minister Netanyahu, whose mishandling, mismanagement of Israel over the past 10 months uh, was to a large measure responsible for the mess we're in. And I'm sure the administration knows that perfectly well, as do most Israelis. Yeah. You know, you, you, you said or at least I think you might have implied only that President Biden will tell Netanyahu, if should Hezbollah interfere, you pretty much have to leave it to us. I don't think that is conceivable at all. That is under any circumstances, should Hezbollah initiate exactly what you said, just a strategic attack on Israel, which could be, you said 50 times, and I certainly agree with you, would be totally devastating. And but Israel will have to respond. Whether the United States interfere or not, that's from my perspective, as far as against Hezbollah and potentially even against Iran, should Iran um, initiate any kind of another front, specifically coming from Syria. The, 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 question, the question is, if this scenario is to unfold, I'm going to go back in a moment to Gaza. If this scenario is to unfold, what are, from your perspective, the Israeli options? That is, I feel 100% certain that Israel will not sit if Hamas, if Hezbollah is starting to shoot missiles at Israel, no matter what the United States does or says. That's from how I see it. So, so do you think that this scenario would, what are the prospects that Hamas, in fact, get engaged fully into this conflict from your perspective? What's going to take? Well, Hamas, or, we're talking Hezbollah, right? Am I talking about Hezbollah? Say, yes, yes. So, so, yes. You said Hamas a minute ago. Yeah, no. uh, uh, look, uh, of course Israel has to respond, and uh, uh, I don't think uh, uh, the administration objects to that at all. But let's just play out a scenario, okay? Israel responds from the air uh, with an attempt to bomb the missile launch bases in uh, southern and, and, and central uh, Lebanon. Uh, and when that's not, and, and here there may be some, for example, division of labor 
with the U.S. Uh, that is division of targets. The U.S. has Tomahawk missiles. Uh, it will fire them at certain targets and Israel will send its air force to bomb certain targets. All well and good. What happens, and here there's a certain parallel with the situation in Gaza. What happens when Israel says, now we have to send in ground forces to uh, uh, really eliminate, eliminate Hezbollah as a military organization? Uh, we can't live under this threat again. That means invading Lebanon. Um, where would the U.S. stand on this with its concern for Lebanese uh, uh, national integrity, security, so on and so forth? I can imagine, and I emphasize this is purely speculative, but I can imagine that the two countries, Israel and the United States, might find themselves at this point in time in disagreement as to uh, whether Israel should move in and actually conquer Lebanese territory, even temporarily, but, but, in order but, to, to deal with uh, Hezbollah. But this think it's really realistic for Israel to engage in a ground invasion simultaneously, both in the south and in the north, what is going to take? I mean, I just want to mention something to you. After only a few days of barrages coming from Hamas, Israel basically ran out of the missiles for the Iron Dome and asked the United States to resupply that within a few days. How many of these uh, air defense missiles for, for the Iron Dome is going to require, should Hezbollah, in fact, wage this kind of barrage? Could he, they, could, they could fire 1,000, 1,500 a day for months. They can do that. They, so, could, overwhelm, they could overwhelm Iron Dome. And no uh, question about it. So how how that enter into the Israeli calculus and the United States calculus, should that happen? Bef I mean, it's going to take, it's not going to take two or three days of bombing to, to, to quieten Hezbollah. It's going to take quite a bit more than that to destroy in excess of 200,000, uh, some of them precision rockets, some of them uh, not as a precision. How is that going to happen? And my question here is, is, in terms of realistic approach to this, from Israeli United States strategic, opening two fronts ought to be avoided almost under any point. I any completely point. agree with you. So then the question, hey, how do you avoid it? My question to you is twofold. Do you feel, and under what circumstances, Hezbollah may engage fully into this conflict? And the second question, from as I'm trying to analyze this, what is going to really take on the part of the United States to in order to you know, respond in such a decisive manner in order because they cannot allow Hezbollah to keep firing rockets for days or weeks. They're going to have to basically bomb all of these uh, Hezbollah's uh, rocket launches for, throughout the South. What What is going to take to, to achieve that? I mean, to me, this is this is a, uh, a development that it is, uh, I mean, it, is, it could be disastrous disaster for Israel, almost under any circumstance, wouldn't you say? Well, I, uh, you're, you're implying somehow that Hezbollah, with its missile arsenal, is invincible. I didn't uh, say invincible, no, no. Well, if if it takes a few days for the United States to bomb it, then it takes a few days to Israel for Israel to bomb it. But I add here, Israel has the option, again, theoretically, to go in on the ground 
in order to take out the missile launch bases on the ground, one by one. We've done, we did that once before in 2006. Uh, a, with mixed results, I fully agree. I would hope we could do it much better now. Uh, of course, Hezbollah's uh, missile potential is far larger now. Uh, how did, how is, I mean, this is why, from the Israeli standpoint, uh, military cooperation and collaboration and integration with the American force is so important. Now, Critical, uh, yes. we agree, we agree we don't want a two-front war. By the way, there are Israeli military experts, retired generals who appeal on, appear on all the panel shows on TV, who say this is a great opportunity to get rid of Hezbollah as well. I don't agree. Uh, and I think it's pretty clear that uh, the intention is to try to stick just with Hamas. But then the question arises, if and when we go in on the ground in Gaza, does Hezbollah respond with a missile offensive against Israel? Because this is crossing a red line, which Iran's foreign minister implied in remarks just yesterday. And if if so, what do we do? Are we deterred from going on in on the ground? In other words, from trying to, if not eliminate, then at least radically weaken Hamas because of the threat by Hezbollah. Uh, it's complicated issues, complicated questions. My sense is we will go in on the ground in Gaza, uh, in northern Gaza at least, in order to try to eliminate the Hamas infrastructure there, even if it means an attack by Hezbollah. And this is one reason why Biden was here in order to talk about this with us, because it will bring in an American role. Well, I mean, uh, to me, you know, looking at the concentration of Israeli troops in the South in access of uh, here 300,000 or 250,000, uh, where did Israel will have enough troops to station in the north to engage potentially, potentially, in any ground offensive in the north? I mean, to me, this seems uh, almost an impossible task. I mean, you know, Israeli general, I've been, I got used to the fact that there's a lot of bluster, a lot of uh, big talk. We can do so. We can do so. Uh, Israel went to Lebanon and, and and got into a mess for 34 days, even going back. So. I am not sure uh, about this massive presumed Israel capabilities to handle three fronts, two fronts. I'm really not sure about it. You you are more in, inside the, these uh, issues and know better. Do you, do you think I am just uh, uh, mis, 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 misunderstand the reality of the Israeli real prowess, military prowess, unless Israel engage in a carpet bombing? I don't think Hezbollah... Uh, uh, Israel will uh, the even combined forces they're not going to fight in Hezbollah any within the two or three or four days. That's not going to happen. That's how yeah. I see it. Okay. First of all, in 2006, we th we when it was over, we thought we didn't do so well against Hezbollah, and yet they've been deterred for 17 years uh, from launching another attack. To our surprise, it worked better than we thought, number one. Number two, we've had we haven't been so successful going into Gaza either, exactly physically with the army. So uh, uh, one ha one has to hope that we've learned lessons, we'll be applying lessons, we'll do better this time. I don't know, but uh, 
it seems to me that we're we're set on some kind of ground offensive into Gaza against Hamas, into northern Gaza against Hamas, and we are primed to respond if Hezbollah responds. Now, here, bear in mind, one aspect of Israel's intelligence failure on October 7th was that uh, the assumption was that if Hamas attacks us, it will only be part of a broad offensive by the Islamist resistance front led, led by Iran and comprising Iran, Hezbollah, uh, Hamas, maybe the Houthis, some other uh, militias who are currently in Iraq, uh, Shiite militias in Iraq or and, and Syria. It'll be a multi-front offensive. This is one of the reasons why we let down our guard with regard to a single front offensive by Hamas. It wasn't supposed to happen. The minute it did happen, Saturday morning, part of the immediate reaction of the IDS was to say, well, this has got to be part of a multi-front offensive. We have to call up reserves, but send a major portion of them up north, not to Gaza, because we're expecting an offensive there as well. And that's been the situation since then. So we're deployed to deal with a war with Hezbollah. However, how well we can deal with it, how many lessons we've learned, I don't know. But it, the thinking is and has always been uh, we have to be prepared for a multi-front offensive by the Islamists. I, I mean, I, I agree with you. We're gonna, Israel has to be prepared. There's no doubt about it. I'm just concerned about you know, to the extent to which uh, Israel's ability to, Israel eventually will win. I, I mean, I have confidence of that. Define that win. Define win alone. Yeah, define win in the sense that it can, in fact, collaborate both Hamas and Hezbollah for some time at a horrible losses that Israel will be sustaining under those conditions. Yes, that is a, a terrible victory, but it will be ter terribly costly victory in the end. Uh, and I'm sure not I want to call it a victory. It's a win of sorts because a victory will, will imply a, a much longer term uh, success. But but then the, the the question is today, in as far as I you know, there is obviously Israel hesitating to go to Gaza. Um, like you said, I agree with you. The Obama administration, based on I hear, they really don't want Israel to go if they can help it. If they can help it. But do you still feel? that the invasion of Gaza may be not as extensive as initially was planned. Will it still take place? I think it, you, you may be right that it won't be as extensive as planned because in the emotional response on Saturday morning, the October 7th and the few, first few days afterward, it was, we've got to go all out. We've got to destroy these guys at any, any cost. And since then with some calmer thinking, uh, I think military planners are factoring in the likely losses. Um, likely losses to the IDF and the likely losses in civilian lives in Gaza and how this will affect uh, international attitudes toward Israel. I mean, there's a whole list of, of effects, including just widespread anti-Semitism in uh, in various European capitals in the, in the United States, but also how this will affect our relations with the Arab countries. Uh, and uh, which after all have come a long way since uh, the, the 
last clash, for example, with Hezbollah in 2006. So I think it's possible. We'll see that. I think it's possible. Again, I emphasize, I'm just, this is just informed speculation. I think it's possible we'll see less than a full-fledged offensive of uh, divisions of, of uh, military divisions and more something slower, something with probes, uh, trying here, trying there, uh, uh, moving relatively slowly, taking our time, doing our best to reduce losses and uh, trying to learn from experience what works and what doesn't work. Uh, this is, if, if, if I'm right, this is based among other things on the sense reinforced by the Biden visit that if all we're doing is trying to clean out Gaza of Hamas in, in the most sterile way possible, the world will give us time. Yeah, but then let, let me ask you this. <clears throat> I personally don't believe that Israel will be in a position to eliminate Hamas. I mean, you know, the, again, the chief of staff from Netanyahu was saying we're going to go crush Hamas once and for all. I don't think that's going to be possible to crush Hamas once and for all, no matter what, how much, uh, um, what kind of campaign is there waging Gaza. They will be right. This is an organization. There's an ideology. Many of the leadership already went to hiding. Some of them are outside Gaza altogether, so sitting in, in Doha, sitting in, 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 in Istanbul. And Some elsewhere. have probably already moved north. I mean, my, my, the no? To the southern strips. Yeah, that's right. Strip. So, so, so the whole idea of saying we're going to crush Hamas completely, I don't buy into that argument. Hamas is going to maintain certain strength. They will be damaged, they'll be possibly injured to a point where they won't be reconstitute themselves for, for, for a few years, four or five years. I give them that much. But in the end, Hamas is going to be there. So the reason I raise this for you, what is going to happen the day after? I mean, Ed, do you agree with the assumption that Israel cannot basically eliminate Hamas of the map, period, forever? Do you agree with that assumption? That Israel I agree cannot with do that. that? I agree with that assumption. I would uh, modify it and say cannot eliminate Gaza-based a Palestinian militant Islam Islamism. Okay, it may Hamas may call itself something else. All right, if its leadership yeah, whatever, is really thoroughly whatever. decapitated. Whatever. It could call itself something else, but I don't think you can uh, eliminate a militant Islam from Gaza. Uh, and uh, a, a, this is it, it just it's just physically and logically impossible. Okay. Um, so so we're back to that uh, terrible cliche mowing the lawn. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Yeah, but, OK, so you're you're not mowing the lawn, you're uprooting the lawn. But a new lawn will grow, oh. and um, and uh, a, a, it will take several years. And and in this sense, all the bravado and the uh, understandable uh, vowing to avenge the 1,300 people that were slaughtered uh, by eliminating Hamas, it's understandable, but it's pretty hard to do. And uh, it, because that's the nature of the enemy, that's the nature of the geography, exactly, nature, exactly. the nature of our neighbors and their relationship exactly. with the Hamas and, and, and Arab Islamism. Um, and this will be a very hard pill to swallow for the Israeli public 
Um, it will add to Netanyahu's post-war troubles because he will be, there will be an angry public demand to explain the mistakes he made before the war and then to explain why he didn't finish the war. What, what, and all this that. on the assumption, all this on the assumption that Hezbollah is not part of this. But here's a thought for you. If Hezbollah becomes part of this, and we are fighting a two-front war with the United States cooperating with us in, in the north, in Lebanon, uh, it, it will, will this end with the elimination of Hezbollah? Also not. Of course uh, not. Of course okay. not. Okay, and uh, but it will be easier for Netanyahu to explain himself if he can say, "I could have eliminated Hamas, but then Hezbollah joined, so I've only eliminated sixty percent of each of them, or something." Yeah, like but, that. but 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 I think I think Netanyahu is in trouble. However, this unfolds. I don't, I don't think be so sure. This is Netanyahu is a very slippery, clever. Well, he is a slippery guy. He has refused yeah. to take responsibility, to acknowledge responsibility, and his his team are already briefing reporters and briefing their own members of Knesset, uh, saying, uh, uh, you know, at the end there'll be a commission of inquiry and it'll take years to report. Uh, uh, he's he is still hoping to get out of this. This explains why yeah. he was so slow about setting up any sort of uh, new co broader coalition. He doesn't want to share his achievements with anybody else. Uh, but knowing Netanyahu, uh, he will do everything in desperation to try to get out of being of losing his job because of this. Well, there's, there's no question about it, but you know, we also have to remember this horrifying, unprecedented, uh, unbelievable, unfathomable massacre that took place, happened under the watch of one of the most, the, the most extremist government in Israel history. Uh, this this happened under its watch. This is something that they cannot just wash away. I, I in, this, in this area, I think, I think the Israelis have come to a point where this cannot be explained. For the Israelis to be to go to, go to sleep, uh, and and for, for him to allow that under his own watch. Let me let me let me move a little beyond. I think you're point. underestimating his desperation, but okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see. see. Uh, time will tell. Uh, the question is, what is the day after? Now, let us say, let us say, Israel prevailed to 70, 80 percent of what is objective in Gaza. Uh, one scenario without major involvement with Hezbollah, or let's say also Hezbollah get into the frame and Israel also inflicts significant damage on Hezbollah with the support of the United States. And now there is some kind of, uh, eventually some kind of ceasefire. What have, what does Israel learn from this? What is going to be the day after? I mean, this is, this is my, my, my concern is that how Israel learned anything from this conflict over the last 75 years. You know, and then, the final, you know, I, I, then I have a couple other questions I'd like to discuss it with you, but let's start with this. How do you see the day after? Of course, two is a possible scenario. Um, uh, Hezbollah engages or does enter the fray and, or, and then, or doesn't, but certainly Israel is not going to be, um, give up on trying to weaken dramatically Hamas. And they say it succeeded in that. I think it will succeed in that regard. Uh, 
what is going to be the day after? What has Israel learned from this? What's going to happen? Okay. What would Israeli let's, people demand? First of all, let's start with the easy part, which is Hezbollah, uh, and dispense with that. Uh, the, because the, here we have to recognize the difference between Hezbollah's strategic environment and that of Hamas. Uh, Hezbollah is in Lebanon. Lebanon is a sovereign state, a sick state and a dysfunctional state, but a state nevertheless. And it, it is not, uh, it, it's not part of Palestine. It's not part of Palestine. So that uh, however it works out there, and, and, and Israel has a very sorry history uh, after 1982 of, uh, of occupying south of, uh, the southern third of Lebanon. Uh, and I have no doubt that Israel will get out fast. Uh, how, what, it, it will hope that the Lebanese government can fill the vacuum, uh, maybe with American help, maybe with additional Arab help, but it will get out fast uh, from southern Lebanon and respect Lebanese sovereignty. Uh, now we move to Hamas. Uh, are there other uh, Israel? And you sideline Hezbollah weakened or, or or remain the same strength? I'm taking I mean, I'm taking your I'm taking your scenario. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just when you said you said that they restore some normality with Lebanon uh, by through mediation, whatever it is. Where 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 Hezbollah was standing at that point? If if Hezbollah is sufficiently weakened for the already weak Lebanese government and army to come in and fill the vacuum, that would be ideal, or Unifil okay. could be expanded. But I would suggest that even if Hezbollah is still standing, uh, uh, but it's over, Israel will withdraw. Uh, Israel will not want to be uh, an occupying power no in, question. No in question. Lebanon for any period of time. It would just hope that the Lebanese, the Americans, Unifil, and maybe some other Arabs will fill the, whatever vacuum has been created. Now, Hamas is Gaza. Gaza is Palestine. Gaza has two neighbors, Israel and Egypt. Egypt it has, be, has made it clear for many decades, and uh, President Sisi is ma making it very clear today that uh, uh, Gaza, as, being, as part of Palestine, is Israel's problem. It's not Egypt's problem. And Egypt will not fill any power vacuum there. Egypt will just, if it, if necessary, close its border uh, with Gaza, but it will not fill a power vacuum there. It will not send troops into to, to police it or whatever. Israel uh, will want to get out because it knows what it's like to occupy Gaza and to occupy hostile Gaza. Let's bear in mind here, there'll be a few uh, Israeli extremists who will say, uh, let's rebuild the settlements in Gaza too. We've got an opportunity now. You see, they provided security and they will provide security again in a way that the IDF can't provide alone. I don't think there'll be much support for that for that proposition in the broad Israeli political scene. Um, but uh, to the extent that we end up occupying land in Gaza and worried about Hamas refilling the back vacuum or some new Hamas refilling the vacuum if we leave, we've got a huge problem. We have a, problem. a huge a huge problem because uh, 
the UN, the UN, the Arab League, some other coalition of Arabs are going to take it off our hands? I doubt it very much. It would be very nice. And I can see us, we've got at least some presence in enough Arab capitals to lobby for some kind of idea like this. Uh, I doubt it would happen, and in Turkey as well, I doubt very much it would happen. And this will be a real problem. Uh, and and uh, again, it it's conceivably will be a problem contemplating withdrawal when we're still shooting, when there are still hostile elements coming out of the woodwork or coming from southern Gaza and shooting at us. Um, so the prospect of a, a prolonged occupation and a violent occupation, reoccupation of Gaza is very unsettling. And I have no doubt that it's a major deterrent in, in planning, in militarily planning how to go into Gaza. How do you go in without getting stuck occupying the, a, violent, a violent place. We have enough experience with this in Lebanon, for example, uh, and in Gaza in the past, uh, to hopefully uh, have learned some lessons and be able to apply them. I hope I'm, I feel as optimistic about, about that, as how much, what kind of lesson Israel have learned. Let's see what kind of lesson Israel will learn from this experience. Let's go with the scenario, Israel somewhat prevail, 70, 80% of achieve its objective in Gaza. And let's assume uh, Hezbollah is contained for the time being. What is the day after? So Israel cannot cannot occupy and stay there. I think that's, I agree with you 100%. I mean, for, for Israelis to administer Gaza, it's a nightmare, the likes of which no one can imagine in, in every respect. So Israel is going to have to withdraw in one form or another. I mean, establishing settlement in Gaza is as mad an idea as it can be. Um, so that's, in my view, will never happen again, establishing settlement in Gaza. Now, what is the day after? This whole experience, horrible experience, is what lesson should Israel learn from it? And what is the prospect that that Israel move in earnest toward ending we were settling the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, however long by that might term, might take, but make a decision, a strategy, a strategy. Okay, we cannot continue this for another 75 years. We're going to have to find a solution. Would this experience revive the two-state solution? To what extent the United States, the Arab states who have our peace with Israel, will be asking, demanding that this is going to have to come to an end before they continue to normalize relation with Israel, knowing full well, knowing full well, as long as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict continues to simmer throughout in the Middle East, the, the, the region will not, will not be stable. And this last episode just proves that. No stability in the Middle East will take place unless this conflict comes to some kind of an end uh, on, a, on, a, on a sort of sitting on a peaceful footing. That's, that's my view. Do you feel a the same, or do you feel uh, this is another pipe dream on my part or on anybody's part? So we go, we inflict damage, we leave, and here we come again. We're probably going to have Israel will have to do that another time in three or four years. 
do should Israel have a strategy to try to bring some kind of an end to this horrifying conflict? Look, this Hamas attack caught Israel on what I would describe as two slippery slopes. Uh, one domestic political and one with regard to Israel and the Palestinians. Domestic political, Israel is becoming more right-wing, more religious, more messianic. This government is the uh, apogee of that uh, trend thus far, but I don't think we're done with it by any means uh, because of demographic trends in Israel. And uh, a, this sl political slippery slope uh, is leading us, has been leading us, uh, towards some sort of one state entity between the river and the sea. Uh, a, the right wing does not want to give up the West Bank. Um, this government for 10 months has been settling more and more of the West Bank. Uh, it, the need to protect the settlers was one of the reasons there was nobody around from the IDF when Hamas invaded on uh, October 7th at 6.30 in the morning. Uh, but the, the, the same right-wingers, the, the, the Smotriches, the Benviers, and their sympathizers in the Likud, and their sympathizers among the Haredim, uh, a, are not going to learn a lesson from this. They're still committed to swallowing up more and more territory at the, in the West Bank and reducing the Palestinians there to, at best, second-class status. Uh, and that's their Palestinian solution, without Gaza. And it'll still be without Gaza. But this, of course, leads Israel to Maintaining the occupation. Huh? Maintaining the occupation. I mean, Israel's not going to give them equal citizenship. No, no. It be, we, yeah. become, we become a, completely an apartheid state. Okay? Uh, Jews have first-class status. Arabs have second-class status. And these guys, you and I presumably learned a lot of lessons from watching what happened to apartheid in South Africa a few decades ago. These guys haven't learned a thing. They, they, they couldn't care less because they're not Democrats either. Democrats with a small D. They're not. So this is where they were taking us on October 7th. And I fear that they will continue to want to take us there uh, when this is over. Now, it's possible that uh, the anger at Netanyahu and at this uh, government will express itself in some electoral result or some change of government, uh, but I don't think it's going to disrupt the long-term trend, demographic trend of this uh, anti-democratic apartheid slippery slope. That's one slippery slope, okay? Which can, I mean, the, the other part of it or the other slippery slope is Israel domestically. A, a becoming a more religious, a more messianic, more less democratic a country. I think it's wishful thinking to believe that what happened on October 7th is going to radically reverse this. I, I wish it would. I wish it, I dearly wish it would. But I kind of doubt that that's what's, what's going to happen. You, you know, there may, there may be an interregnum uh, because Netanyahu hopefully will be so heavily blamed by the public that he really will 
somehow be pushed aside by his own Likud. I don't think it's going to happen, frankly. But even if it does happen, I don't think it will it will change. Yeah. It will alter the long term prospects. And all this assumes that uh, uh, Gaza will still be Gaza, and we won't be there. However, man, we manage to we we manage to mow the lawn and then manage the conflict from outside the border of Gaza. Yeah, well, you know, uh, first of all, uh, uh, I mean that's that's the kind of scenario that I think the likelihood of what you describe is going to really come to pass. I hope not. I hope not. Certainly, some some of your points are valid. Um, Israel certainly moved to the right. The religious is, uh, constituency is powerful. The settlement movement is extremely powerful. So, so. The, 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 this this state this status quo can be maintained for a while, but Netanyahu is not uh, immortal. He's going to go one day, one form or another, uh, be that by natural causes or by politically. Uh, Abbas, uh, the West Bank, is not going to live forever. His tenure maybe another year, another two. So it is the current leadership in the West Bank and in Israel. It's a question of when it's going to change. The question now, now it comes in, who is going to replace Netanyahu? Who is going to replace uh, Mahmoud Abbas? And what these leaders are going to simply continue what their predecessor have been doing, or there's going to be some kind of rethinking that what has been happening need to be revisited. I'm asking you, this is, it's not as, as hypothetical a question. The fact is, Abbas and Netanyahu are not going to be there forever. That's just fact. And what happened yeah, there? I, I, look, Netanyahu looks to me healthier than Abbas, and he's younger. Yeah, yeah but, but he's also 73. You know, whether he doesn't die, you know, whether politically he may, let's say he win another election, but sooner or later he's going to go. I mean, this is just look, a question of time. I, I think. The point I would make to to uh, address this is that in the Middle East, and not just in the Middle East, we're looking at a leadership vacuum. Yes. All right. All right. We don't have any obvious candidate uh, to replace Netanyahu. Right, left, doesn't matter. Uh, uh, and and uh, bring Israel to its senses, restore governance, restore democracy and try to move us towards some sort of two-state solution. Neither do the Palestinians. Neither do the Palestinians. But this I is mean, my they're, point. That's they're my worse point. off. In many ways, they're worse off. Of course, you can say Barghouti if we let him out of jail, but that's that's this wishful thinking. Um, but if you look around at the neighboring Arab states, you, you've, you've got the same problems of leadership and governance uh, that we have, and indeed in much of the world, it's it's this way. Um, but they are stable. They're stable, not hardly threatened. And look at the Gulf state. When was it last time you saw significant turmoil, other than a little bit skirmishes in, in, in Bahrain? They are stable. Dictatorial, yes. Uh, despots, yes. But nevertheless, they are stable and progressing and growing. So, so you, you know, I don't see I don't see the Gulf state or even Jordan is going to experience such a horrible turmoil that Israel is experiencing. So again, you know, you agree with you. There is a leadership vacuum. 
but this this and is, is Palestinian Abbas is not preparing a successor. I don't see anybody coming to the fore. Uh, Netanyahu is going to try to cling to power as long as he can, but sooner or later he's going to have to go. I'm asking you, from your perspective, the scenario: what is the day after? What is the day after this uh, invasion or part 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 in, partial invasion of Gaza? And Israel registers some success. What is going to happen? Simply going back to the status quo? Alone, I don't know. I'm being very no, honest. No, I don't know. Any, any conjecture on your I've, part. I've done a lot of speculating in this conversation. And I, I, I don't see how I can speculate about that. So, uh, I, know I, was, I was just Jordan, and I met with very top officials. I don't, I cannot mention their name at this point because I sort of not, I would just want for good reason. And I was told, and I'm not talking about really top officials, and I was told very clearly that the relationship with Israel is extremely tense, extremely tense. The king is You're not happy. You're talking about Jordan. Uh, Jordan. Yes, king it is, is very tense. Is not happy whatsoever. No. What happened now in Gaza and even canceling the meeting with the president of the United States, no less, that adds so much salt to the terrible wound that already exists. Uh, and so, again, however this uh, conflict ends with, with Hamas, uh, Israel is not going to emerge in good shape, neither with Jordan. Certainly the, the Saudis are going to give their, their you know, uh, consideration of normalization for Russia is going to, to, they're going to have to think twice before they may, Yes, but uh, forgive forgive me for interrupting. Look, a normalization with uh, the UAE, Bahrain, and uh, and uh, Morocco, uh, and potentially with Saudi Arabia, has been happening despite the Palestinian issue. Okay, it's been clear that the rulers of these countries, all monarchies, are fed up with the Palestinians. Absolutely, and, I agree with you. I okay, mean, and they're fed up. They're fed up uh, uh, making radical concessions in their policy needs uh, uh, because of the Palestinians, and they've said so. Now, will I mean? Now the question has to be asked: Will the events we're experiencing now affect that attitude? Because if they don't change that attitude. We'll get back to normalization with the Saudis. Well, and we I won't mean, lose normalization with the Moroccans and the Emirates, and perhaps additional ones as well. Indeed, you could speculate that Hamas has just made the Saudis and others even more disgusted than before with Palestinian leadership and Palestinian inability to reach a, an accommodation with Israel. But nevertheless, nevertheless, they, they you know, all spoke in one voice as far as the Palestinian cause. They detest Hamas, all of them, with no exception. They detest Hamas. It's a, it's a given. And they will cheer quietly, though, the demise of Hamas if Israel could manage that. No question about it. Uh, and I agree with you, Saudi Arabia behind the scene have been working with Israel not last year, not two years ago, going back 15, 20 years. They already have had contact with Israel, and they've been working with Israel decades, two, three decades, and they have never, Saudi never contemplated really uh, having any war against Israel. That was not, not to the Saudis. 
so the tacit relationship between the two countries may continue, but formal normalization is going to go on hold. They're going to hold that for a while. And I don't know how long that's going to be. Then the, the question is, you know, I personally, and I'm this, you know, based on what I see, the the the, the status the restoring the status quo ante, it's uh, basically another is building for the next disaster that's going to happen in one form or another. It take another year, another two, another three, another four is going to happen. Do you feel? Do you feel? I mean. Polls in Israel suggest today there's an election today. Netanyahu uh, will lose. That's you. You saw these polls uh, taking place in Israel time and again. Um, but restoring this, going back to the status quo ante, is that is that how Israel can see itself as a perpetual occupying power, an apartheid state? Is I mean, let's let's talk about the Israelis as far as they're concerned. And you, know, you are. Living there, you see Israel being the, the 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 dream of the Zionist movement to create independent, free country. Now Israelis are leaving the country more so than those who are immigrating to Israel nowadays. What is Israel's future is going to be if this is the, this what's happening now between Israel and the Palestinians is not going to change? And basically, just waiting for another for the next conflagration. I mean, is there a discussion about? Is this what Israel was created for? Of course, no. there's a dis of course, there's a discussion. I mean, I know, but 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 a, a, the the majority of Israelis pre-war, as represented in the Knesset, okay, a, a see Israel and see Zionism. The Haredim aren't Zionists, but they see Israel uh, as in in my parlance, in your parlance, as undemocratically ruling a minority of Arabs, or maybe even a majority of Arabs as time goes by, thanks to demography and birth rates, uh, in the name of the greater land of Israel, and uh, having no qualms about it, because apart the word apartheid says nothing to them, their vision of democracy is Jewish democracy. So when you say, does, does Israel see itself this way in the long term, you've got to ask two different Israels. The rest of us are horrified at this. The ones who are leaving are not represented by that 64 member of Knesset majority by any means. They're, I, no, they're I, represented I, I, by I, the rest of us. And I, the, I, more, I, I, the more who leave, the more of a minority will, we will become. This is a very, very painful issue, but this is, I mean, and, and I don't think we have time to go into the history of how it happened, how we let it happen, why we let it happen. Uh, you can go all the way back to Ben-Gurion and the Hazon Ish, yeah, yeah, Ben-Gurion yeah. agreeing to a few hundred Haredim uh, in not serving in the army, and you can go back to 67, when a labor government, a left-wing government agreed to start settling in the West Bank, they started it. And, and, and the ball has been rolling ever since. And we are where we are today. And I don't think this war is going to bring that majority represented in the, in the Knesset majority today is going to bring them to their senses. I fear it won't. 
Yeah, I mean, initially you invoked the example of South Africa and Israel obviously is not learning from that. I, I suppose you implied that that a minority cannot rule a majority to the end of time. Something is going to have to give uh, at one point or, or another. Uh, well, you these know, guys don't think so. I, I know. I understand that. I just they'll solve to, it by, by uh, kicking them yeah, out. That's yeah. all. But here's, here's how the Palestinians look at themselves. If you look at demographically speaking, the, the total of Palestinians living today in Gaza, in Israel proper, in the West Bank, and in Jordan, along with some those who live in Syria, in Lebanon, and some other places, their total number is almost equal to the total number of native Jordanian as well as Israelis, Israeli Jews. Here, Jordan is an independent state, and Israel is an independent state, but the vast majority of the people in that area who are Palestinian, whose numbers exceed of both Israel and Jordan, are stateless. I mean, when I talk to the Palestinians, this is how they see it. And to them, you know, it's a question of time. And again, they waited 75 years. They will wait another 10 years, another 20 years, another 30 years. That is time is not on the Israel side. Do you agree with that premise? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's that's what what that what that concerns me. That is for me, uh, you know, to because what you have just explained and suggested, I am with you, almost one hundred percent. But my my where I depart is, this is not sustainable. Whether it take five years or ten years is not sustainable. The question is whether these incident was a you know a rude wake up call for the Israelis or just another episode to be dealt with as we go. And that is where my, my, my mind goes in at this point. Okay, but let, let me, my answer to that would be, logic says you're right, but this is the Middle East and things happen unexpectedly to change the course of events. What's going on right now is conceivably one of those unexpected developments that changes the course of events. Uh, how it's going to change, very difficult to say. There are too many dynamic factors here. But a, a, this is said just by way of a caution against making predictions in this part of the world. You asked me to predict uh, uh, how Israel can will manage after this war. Uh, a, you, you're asking me to predict uh, it's, no, no, how no, we'll no, manage it's, domestically, how we'll manage with the region. We're not, you are not, not the Think, business of predicting. Uh, predict most, I say this as a former intelligence professional, most dramatic events in the Middle East are unpredicted and unexpected. We're 50 years from the Yom Kippur War, which was, what was ultimately was a major change for the better in Israel's relations with the region. How this one will pan out, I don't know, but we it's it's really, really, I think, really dangerous to make any hard and fast no, predictions. No, you know, you see, you know, your background, what you do now, you know, you are one of the most prominent thinkers in Israel when it comes to these issues, and I have tremendous respect for you. So I don't I don't really engage in prediction based on just a prediction. My prediction, and let's call it prediction in quote, is based on how I see uh, the events are evolving. 
Um, for example, with all humility, October 2nd of last year, I said very clearly, I wrote it, it was published. It is only a question of time. I said, not, not if, but when. The next explosion is going to come and it's going to make the second intifada like a rehearsal. That was October 2nd of 2022. Was I, am I a prophet? I'm not a prophet. Not just as I make a random prediction. I was looking at the events evolving in the West Bank. The intensified conflict, what's happening in Jenin, what's happening with, with Gaza, the continuing blockade. For me, this was something, so you have a cattle sitting with water is boiling and boiling. It was only a question of time when it's going to explode. When I talk about prediction, you and I are not engaged in some random prediction. I'm talking about how do you see, see to me, the way things are evolving and the way the situation exists today does not lend itself to stability, not even for the next three, four, five years, maybe three years. That's not gonna be, because the Palestinians, if anything, they have learned from this, however battered they will be, however losses they will sustain in Gaza and elsewhere. In fact, this is only going to make them far more determined and far more resistant rather than less determined and less resistant. That is my concern. And if the Israelis don't think in those terms, in my view, are just fooling themselves. It's a question, when is there going to be the next explosion? And in my view, if this continues, it's going to be much worse than what happened uh, on, on October 7th. I tend to agree with you. But again, I, there are so many unpredictable factors. Let me just yeah. mention, let me just mention one of them uh, that could change everything we've been talking about. Uh, uh, Russia has forces in Syria. Putin has not been very kind to Israel since this war began, to put it mildly, okay? Uh, Putin's relationship with the Iranians is, is getting tighter. Suppose we find ourselves at war with Hezbollah, and we've discussed that scenario, and Russia intervenes. Russia's there. Russia has air force, navy. Has, it has forces there. It would. It, I mean, it doesn't have a large force there. But suppose it intervened. Where would this conversation be going? It would be an entirely different conversation. And of course, that's one reason why the U.S. has sent two carrier groups. But a a a. Hezbollah is unpredictable. It could attack the carrier groups. Iran could attack the carrier groups. All kinds of things could go wrong to our north that would radically change everything we've been talking about. And they are not, they are not uh, beyond the bounds of realistic speculation, just as we've been doing all this time. So uh, I, I just say, I, can, I end by saying, uh, it, it, we're in a revolutionary, what, in intelligence terms, you call a revolutionary situation in the Middle East today, in which it's impossible to predict what's going to happen tomorrow because there's so many moving parts and so many unpredictable parts. And all you can do as an observer, as an intelligence observer or an academic observer, is try to describe accurately what's going on, which is hard enough as it is. But beyond that, to predict what's going to happen? Well, I, don't again, know. You know, I don't know. I, I, res I, I have the greatest respect for your predictions, 
you're probably right, but there are many variables that could change them. You know, no, I mean, I, I agree with all of this, absolutely. My, my only problem is that uh, knowing what we know, what knowing what the Israeli experience over the last 75 years, uh, and to think, to think the religious community, the extremists in Israel who really don't give a damn, and from them, this is a this is a God God's will, uh, and not learn something from it, and subject the 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 Jewish community, not only in Israel but the Jewry, world Jewry, to these type of turmoils. Uh, they they every Israeli should give this another thought. I mean, I you know, it's not like I come from the optimist side, so I'm hoping maybe I guess how people learn something. Maybe they learn from terrible experiences. And if Israel doesn't learn from this terrible, terrible experience, then Israel, Israel is not the Israel that we hope to Israel to be, the, the Israel that we were dreaming about it to be. Israel is changing dramatically. And that's sad, sad, sad for, for us as Jews, that we have having gone through or the hell that have been going through for, for the millennia culminating with the Holocaust, and we now we found ourselves in a situation where we cannot have a plan, have a strategy, how to live in peace in an area and settle for what we have got. That to me, it is a sad, tragic story, a Jewish tragic story. And it is continued to unfold in a very, very tragic way. Alon, if you want the biblical dimension, and Naftali Bennett as prime minister mentioned this more than once, a, a Jewish sovereignty in the Holy Land in biblical times never lasted more than about 80 years, which That's is right. more or less where we are now. That's Nasrallah right. in Lebanon talks about it. He's aware right. of it as well. We are certainly behaving in, in a way that encourages people to ponder this, uh, this uh, very sad historical reality. Yeah. Uh, and all I can do is hope for for better. Yeah, I mean, I, and, that's work why for, I and work for better. We have to work for yeah. better. Yeah, I raise the question, can we Jews govern ourselves? That is a yeah. big question I'm trying to answer. Yeah. You see, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to have this conversation. With it's you. a pleasure and very stimulating. And 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 uh, I hope we, we continue this dialogue. Um, it's important, you know, not that we can affect dramatic change anywhere, but uh, it, it's, it's useful for people to hear whatever they can deduce from, from our discussion. Thank you so much again, Yossi. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.